Hey, music nerds. You're listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin, and once again, I'm going to be joined by Dan Barracuda in discussing uh, albums of note. This week, it's Asia, or Asia, still don't know which, uh, by Steely Dan. We're going to kick into it pretty quick. I also just want to mention uh, Niagara Moon CDs are on sale now as part of our Adopt-A-CD program. If you're looking to give a Niagara Moon album such as Fuzzy Thinking or Eating Peaches a Good Home, you can head on over to our Adopt-A-CD program at freeniagaramoonalbum.com slash adoptacd. I'll also be putting a link in the show notes. Hope your week's going well. Hope you're doing pretty good out there. And uh, let's get into it. What album are we talking about today, Mr. Dan? Asia. By Steely Dan. Is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> it's Asia. It's not Asia. Is, oh, Asia. Asia. I don't know. I have no. I, that's all right. First point of contention there. It's like GIF or JIF. Well, in the song, it, sound, it sounds like he's saying Asia. 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 Okay, I don't Asia. know. Yeah. Anyway, that's by Steely Dan. Dude, I feel like. I feel like I've never heard these songs before. <laughs> really? Yeah, dude. Steely Dan, 1977. This is their biggest album commercially, and uh, I think in, in most critics' minds, this is uh, supposed to be their crowning achievement. And uh, you were not familiar with this one? I wasn't that familiar. I'm way more familiar with, like, Do It Again. And uh, I love Do It Again. That's my favorite Steely Dan song. And um, really in the yep. years. So their first and- album. Their early stuff. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Can't Buy a Thrill is the first album. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with them. I just know that they're amazing. They're very respected as being killer musicians when you're thinking of like 70s rock and just classic rock. Yeah. Um, well, their whole thing is that they were, quote unquote, not a band past a certain point. They were just two guys who who did play a bunch of different instruments and, and wrote their stuff. And uh, Donald Fagan's the main singer, but... They would not perform live, and they were not really a band. They were just these curators of amazing session musicians. That became their thing. Oh, okay. To just have a revolving door of like the best of the best players of the day, and like really use them to their full potential. So they they have a notoriety for like uh, the highest production standards and demanding the most from the uh, the people working for them musically. Kind of like Toto. Yeah, I I don't know Toto's deal too much, but it's a similar idea of like. We have however many millions of dollars and the best of the best LA recording studios and we're going to like, it's almost like I'm like making a, a Hollywood movie. Like we're going to take everything to its nth degree musically and just like make everything as, as uh, pristine and, and beautifully composed and structured and carefully crafted as possible. It's this whole like, yeah, kind of like making a blockbuster movie sort of mentality for an album. Like nothing's really organic or or spontaneous. Okay, I saw that it was um, nominated for album of the year, which is a big deal, and it it won like best engineered album of the year. Like the sound yep. of it is very uh, respected. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, kind of one of those cliche albums you point to when you're uh, you know dipping your toes into the uh, audiophile world, like when you want to catch every detail or you're you're testing out a new stereo system this is this is like uh this is supposed to be one of the holy grails of like um 
you know, pristine audio quality and recording and so like, detailed, so clear, you know, just the high watermark of what uh, well-produced music could sound like in a lot of people's minds. Do you know where it was recorded? Uh, just, I know it was an LA album recorded out in Los Angeles. So I don't yeah. know which particular studio. Dude. Uh, okay. So the first song is awesome. Yes. I love, I love yeah. black cow. I love the very intro. It's so minimal too, in a way. Really cool album opener. It's so minimal, but that's a, that's a that's the thing about amazing recording quality is that you can be minimal and it'll sound it'll awesome. Sound full, like yeah. if it sounds awesome, you can you you can be you can yeah. be minimal. Is rather you know, and it makes you kind of focus and appreciate on each individual detail. Yeah, like if I'm recording like a kick drum or something, I don't I kind of don't want that kick drum to be isolated. Yeah, right. It's like I want it to be blend in, but like if the kick drum sounds sick and it was recorded professionally. You just want to show it. You just want to show it. <laughs> but um, yeah, the first song is awesome. And dude, like, I wasn't that crazy about the album. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I'll we'll get into it. I, yeah. I I think there are better Steely Dan albums. Yeah, it it was just it started sounding like elevator music. Mm. Yeah, that's what I didn't like about that's it. That's a very common critique. When when things get too like jazzy, yeah, that's a lot of people will say that about this album and about like the band's uh, later period in general that they they go soft, right? Elevator music. It just sounds like Muzak, you know, Muzak. Mm. Muzak. Yep. Yeah, Muzak's yep. just like sound, like pleasant sound that you hear in the elevator, or the lobby. A lot of like the instrumental sections, like when things get to like drums and and ride and and sax mm-hmm. and, and keys mm-hmm. and like like guitar chords, it start it's starting to sound like music, and especially if especially long songs. Um, so you and me both probably our our least favorite track uh, was the title track, Asia. Yeah, Asia. yeah. Yeah. Let me look at the track listing right now. Yeah, I, I had a suspicion this might happen. Yeah. But like you said, that that first song, Black Cow, that is just that's so funky and so like just hits just right, I feel like. That that was the one that sounded the most familiar to me. I'm looking at that track listing right now. Home at last was pretty good. Peg was pretty good. Wow, yeah, Asia's eight minutes long. Deacon Blues. I love Deacon Blues. That was like the biggest song of the Deacon album, Blues. Deacon Blues, and that was it's seven and a half minutes long. It was cool to hear his voice because I like hear his voice singing like jazzy kind of music. Dude, I, I was very not familiar with this album. I, I really wasn't. Wow, so you pre- you pretty much only knew "Can't Buy a Thrill" before, which is totally more the the rock. Yes, piece. that's yeah. kind of how I got into Steely Dan. Was um, I totally thought the same way you did about like it's kind of music music or it's kind of bland or it's just like too much and sort of wanky jazz world but i did like the early album i like the early sound gradually bit by bit i came to really enjoy pretty much their whole catalog but i still like can totally understand that reaction with like yeah this particular album i think it does it uh it falls into those trappings a little bit um can't buy thrill is still pre- it's pretty solid, but it's it sounds like a totally different band, right? I love do it again. I love that groove. If you really listen to it, the yeah, bongos yeah. and like the congas bongos have like a, a pitch boop, to them boop, that's like perfect. And and the keys like like the jingling keys and it's like here yeah. it comes. Bom, bom, in the morning yeah, yeah, yeah. you go gone and so nice. Is it you yeah. going back? 
I love that song. And I love the guitar tones and the key solos. And so, the song is awesome. And Reeling in the Years, it's uh, like a, yeah. Ian and I always play that song when we play live. So yeah, I, know, we yeah. know that's, I know the lyrics really well. Like I know, I know that song really well. So they, they had a punch there that on some of these songs with, with Asia, you're not hearing as much, I'm guessing. Yeah. It's like it's like kind it's like impact. it's not yeah. concise. I'm not saying I just like concise music because I do like long songs, but like it just kind of trails and it's a little floaty. It's floaty and dude, when I was reading about it on Wikipedia, I saw a phrase that kind of ruined it for me, and the phrase was yacht rock. Yacht rock. Oh god. So that's the thing. Yacht rock is this made up silly idea that I still love. Like I get a kick out of. The, the idea that that's a thing. Um, like dad rock. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, like, you dive more into this band. And I think I, I am, I heard this, and then I listened to their next album, Gaucho, and I'm like, oh, I kind of wish we talked about Gaucho because I can so much more get behind Gaucho, and I think it, it does a lot of things brilliantly um, that this album is kind of, like, building up to but doesn't quite get there yet. Like, this isn't... Yeah, so... If you give this like a lot more of your attention or you're a lot more exposed to it, I think the feeling that it's just like floaty, non-committal, like whatever, music, yacht rock, whatever, like that feeling goes away more. Like this does have an edge to it, especially like the lyrics and a lot of the, um, yeah, the, the themes of the lyrics and some of the characters that are coming up. Like there, there's an edge here. There's kind of like an FU attitude yeah. hidden in this, but it's, it's like hidden, like that they speak in code with yeah. all these songs. So like I can come that that uh, combination of like kind of this fu mentality and this these kind of seedy characters and this these kind of um, questionable situations like masked with the supposed like smoothness and total control like I, I find that combination very interesting yeah but again like you're not gonna get that on a first pass you gotta like choose to yeah like immerse yourself in that I I would say overall I like this album but. For me, Black Cow and Deacon Blues are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. A lot of the heavy lifting, yeah. But la- labels like that, like Yacht Rock, do I hate hearing it. I hate hearing it. Like I, I do. I remember the first time I heard Dad Rock. I was like, Dad Rock? Oh fuck, really? So like, AC- yeah, Wilco is Dad Rock. Really? I thought Dad Rock was like ACDC and I, and like Deep Purple and Van Halen. Not, well, I mean, that's just dudes that are fifty now. That's what they listen to when they're teenagers. But I mean, like. I think of Wilco, maybe Dave Matthews Band. Okay, it's like Uncle Rock. There's there's some other ones. It's just it's it's like rock, but it doesn't go too far. It's like safe rock. Like it has all the what you'd expect from rock, but it doesn't have that like eh, like biting energy to it. Yeah. It's just kind of like comfortable. Like you can still be a comfortable middle aged dude and, and still, still rock, rock out. out. So it's like dads can play this yeah. rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so getting getting back to Asia, you it's falling into this like genre trap yeah, for you a little yeah, bit. Like it is, like Kenny Loggins and Doobie Brothers. I like uh, Doobie Brothers. I like. Although I do I, love Michael McDonald, he's definitely in that category. I like Doobie Brothers. I think they're 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 smart with their stuff. I really, I like um, Blackwater. Is such a cool song. Yeah, you well, so you like Doobie Brothers before they became Yacht Rock. Yeah. Because then Michael McDonald, uh, Michael McDonald joins, and you go, minute, bud, minute, bud. <laughs> Do you know that one? Yeah, no, I don't. What's it called? Or uh, what a fool believes. So they got a new lead singer or something. Jesus. 
Yeah, they got a new lead singer, and they became a band you probably wouldn't like. But that's that's where Jesus. I start with them. Anyway, that's Doobie Brothers, but that that's the same era. It's your kind of. So, what is it about that idea of yacht rock that's really turning you off? Okay, my dad has a boat. My my my, my yeah. parents have a okay. my parents have a boat, and um, Humbleberg. Okay. <laughs> they've had a boat for like 20 years and like you know it's like a lifestyle like my dad is like a boater yeah. now. like he loves it he like every summer he looks so forward to it and he like works all day in the boat he loves his boat so much and mm-hmm. I don't know it just makes me think of like loafers and like yachts mm. and like Newport and like rock like it, I don't know it just it takes away the art the, yeah. the ar- just deciding to be comfortable and yeah, playing it safe it takes away like the artisticness yeah. of it like Pink Floyd is not yacht rock. Yes, yes. All right. So I you're you're reacting to it the way most people do to that idea. So yeah. what I can get down with Steely Dan about is they're kind of playing with that sonic world. Like it's it's the same era, it's probably a lot of the same players. It's you can think of it as that same sound a bit, but I think they are subversive enough and have like a dark, cynical sense of humor that they're always trying to put in to their songs and their vibe. And there's enough weird musical and harmonic innovation. Like, I, I think they're like a wolf in sheep's clothes almost. Like, you're, you're thinking you're going to perceive them as music from far off, but they have an edge to them. Like, uh, I, I heard some interview with Donald Fagan where he's like, you know, all those so-called yacht rock bands and the, these big, like, corporate bands. In my mind, I felt we had an energy, like, more similar to punk. Like, we were punk, but using... The musicality of of jazz rock, mm. to paraphrase, which I, I I find that idea very interesting. But again, you're not necessarily going to pick up on that, like on a, on the first couple of know, lessons at a glance. It makes me think of like 55 year old women and men in like a nice restaurant, yeah, like yeah. dancing, and, <laughs> and a 65 year old. And but dude, like some lyrics don't help, like drink scotch whiskey all night long. <laughs> like, uh, but what's the next part of that? Die behind the wheel. That's song Deacon Blues. That's about a guy who's probably hitting a midlife crisis who's just like, F it. I thought he said die. I was like, is he die saying die? behind the wheel. So he's talking, that song is about a guy who's just like, F it, I can't do a, like mature adult life this way anymore. I'm quitting my job. I'm like blowing everything off. I'm going to learn the saxophone and I'm going to stay up all night like a degenerate and become an alcoholic and I'm probably going to die drunk driving. Like that, if you, that's literally what they're describing yeah um they have a name for all the winners well i want to say f you i'm going to be a loser um if you can call right the alabama football team crimson tide you can call me deacon blues like i, I think that's great writing but i didn't cool. first few listens i'm not picking up on that yeah i just picture drinks gosh whiz <laughs> yeah well the people take it as that you're, you're doing a little like lazy Mick Jagger dance i love it oh yeah you bet they would yeah it's like born in the usa man yeah, exactly. Born in the USA, like, hey, Everyone's like, yeah, America. having you done horrible things to, to vets of, like, Vietnam, like, having you neglected them so much, and everybody else is like, Ronald Reagan is great, yeah, I was, yeah. you know, like, they totally recontextualize it. Yeah. 
Yeah, some similar thing. Yeah, I like when it gets minimal, like you said, like like in the beginning of Black Cow. It's it's when it gets really yeah. busy and, and and like I guess like it when it like ooh jazzy here, jazzy there, jazzy everywhere. Like yeah, when it gets too like and it's like long and direct, it just feels a little directionless. And it's it's like like ride drum. It's like ride drum kit plus saxophone. Plus, like clean guitar, plus keys, <laughs> busyness, <laughs> like bi- that. Those things being busy with each other just sounds like Muzak to me sometimes. Man, we should have done Gaucho, cause yeah, what's Gaucho like? Are they go back to rock or what? what is it's it? Colton. They do not go back to rock. They go. They go to like their own planet. I think like oh. Asia. So Asia, you're bumping up against like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Dude, sound. I was gonna say, yeah, I, I literally yeah. said, that. I was like, it sounds like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, especially Josie, which is like, it's fun, but it's like, I don't come to Steely Dan for like light party music or, you know, kind of modern day equivalent of that might be Wolfpack. Like, that kind of band has their place and whatever, they can be fun sometimes. But Steely Dan for me, um, on Gaucho, it's, it's cold. Like, there, there's a weird electronic, like mechanical sheen to it. That is very wow. just kind of like weird. And um, they start using drum machines a little bit here and there, but not like in the oh. way you might think. But it's right. it's like kind of disco-y, but it's it's not like party disco. It's like a guy like shut in by himself, like <laughs> doing cocaine sort of party. Like it's it's got a like a weird alien energy and it's it's minimal a lot more. It doesn't have too much busyness and it's um, very funky. It it doesn't go into like Earth, Wind, and Fire like like that kind of R and B territory. It's doing it's goes on these we like sprawling narratives and really different kind of uh, song composition. What year is that? What year is that? It's it's like a couple years later. Like they released it in 1980, and then they broke Dude, up. Dude, that was an interesting time yeah. for 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 70s bands because the trend like because disco yeah. was popping, and and I. Th- Bands were like, should we go disco? And some people hate disco. Yeah. Just like that old time. They, they totally made it their own. That's cool. And uh, and the like, the lyrical themes get a little more focused too. I think like I can once you get past the code, like you kind of know beat for beat like what they're describing, and it's it is like the the, the lyrical matter gets like darker and kind of like more sinister and cynical too. So like maybe a weirdo that I am or whatever, but like I go for that. Um, a lot more than this kind of like floaty, non-committal Asia period. Although Deacon Blues and Black Cow are primo, I still love them. Yeah, and Pe- Peg isn't too bad. Peg's fun. How long have you known these albums? Like this album? So can't buy a thrill. I think I could get get into a bit when I was a teenager, and then gradually I came to to dig into their later stuff. But that was like by college at that point. I di- I didn't grow up with this band or anything. Okay. It's like the kind of band you want to listen to by yourself. They're very kind of like, or you're in, or you're in a yacht, self-centered. I mean, they're so missing. Yeah, they're so misanthropic. Like, do you know anything about the dudes behind it? Uh, Donald Fagan, Walter Becker. No, they're these. They're very. I, I. I mean, Walter is like slightly more sociable than Donald, but they're these very just kind of like cranky, like introvert, jazz snob weirdos. Very misanthropic and just like just have a kind of cold sarcastic comment for everything and they're they're very not a personality that would do well in today's music world like they're so just like we have our own little hipster world that we stick to they're a duo it's weird that they became rock stars they're a duo so that yeah they were like musical partners 
maybe Walter wrote more of the lyrics, but I, I don't really know how that fell. But they like worked very, they were like a hive mind. Like they worked very closely together on anything. Uh, so they're like Tears for Fears. Tears for Fears is a duo. <laughs> I guess, in a, in a way, yeah. And then Donald Fagan released a solo album in the mid 80s that is very Steely Dan-esque, but is, is still pretty cool, uh, The Nightfly. So it's, uh, maybe you could make the argument it was more F- Fagan than than Becker, but who who the heck knows? Right. I remember reading about uh, another brick in the wall and like in the wall mm-hmm. the album and um, their producer they were they were working on the song another brick in the wall part two. Yeah. Oh, Bob Ezrin was their producer. Bob yeah. Ezrin. They they were talking about different groups. Uh, sorry, different grooves to do. And then Bob was like, I think you guys should like go to a disco and like check out some disco music. And they were like, fuck no. And they did, mm-hmm. and they ended up using a disco beat. And that's a great song. If if you can have your own take on it and you make it your own, I I think disco beats can be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, they cut. Do they? Do you think they get into that sound that much here? I kind of don't hear it except for maybe like Josie. Yeah, it's just like a vibe, like the Earth, Wind, and Fire kind of vibe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like you got to be careful with the saxophone. Saxophone can't like. You gotta it, be it, careful with the you saxophone. You gotta be careful with the saxophone. And Pink Floyd's careful with the saxophone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the Deacon Blues saxophone is great. I don't know how you responded to that. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with. It. I heard it twice, but I don't like. It's kind of like a blur. I didn't take notes yeah. for these songs. I kind of listened to them in their entirety. Whatever. Yeah. How? What did you think of the? I think the most famous saxophone part is Peg going ding 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 ding. Did you like that? Yeah, yeah. See, that's it's, more minimal. Yeah, it's minimal. Yeah, it's cool. See that 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 song does have like earth, wind, and fire energy, yeah. but it's about I think it's like about a poor like beleaguered like maybe pornographic actress and like some creep that's like coming onto them. Like there there's a weird like uncomfortable undercurrent there, like wow. with the meaning of the lyrics. But it's like again, you can still just like play it like party music too. They kind of like walk both lines. Yeah. Looking at their top songs, and the f- top three are off "Can't Buy a Thrill," and then it's "Ricky Don't Ricky Don't Lose That Number." Weird. I didn't know that that uh, "Ricky Don't Lose That Number." That's uh, Pretzel Logic, I think. That's like their their third one. Yeah, they're. Uh, <laughs> I'm just. There's a specific restaurant here where I live that, like, the people you're describing would all like gather and just listen to that that baby boomer music all night, like baby. The dancing in the moonlight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and eleven dollars for a margarita, and uh, yeah, yeah. I was shocked when I heard the album, dude. I, I, I wasn't like shocked, but I was surprised that I <laughs> didn't expect it to be all jazzy and different. And because mm-hmm. I've heard, I've heard Asia, 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 like Celia yeah, yeah. Dan, Asia. I'm like, oh, is that does that have really in the, like I'm not that familiar with their discography. I'm like, oh, does that have Do It Again? Oh no, does that have Dirty Work? Oh, it doesn't. No, okay, no, no, so. different world. See, you might like, um, like I was singing uh, Gaucho's praises, and you might like that one, but you also might really like the one that came right before this, too, uh, The Royal Scam, that has still some more of a rock punch 
that you might like. And it's also super funky. But Kid like Charlemagne. Kind of a, an experimental way. Kid Charlemagne is a great one. That's one of the best songs. Haitian Divorce. Look at these war, these uh, titles. Yeah, yeah they, they like, they're, they're, they're bookish guys. They like to play with some cerebral ideas. Oh my God, dude. They were cranking out albums. Oh yeah. Well, they weren't touring live. They, they just lived for like living in the studio 24-7 and telling everybody what to do and somehow getting millions of dollars in the process. They're a very kind of singular entity. 1972, they released Can't Buy a Thrill. 1973, mm-hmm. Countdown to Ecstasy. 1974, yeah. Pretzel Logic. 75, Katie Lied. 76, Royal Scam. 77, yeah. Asia. Yeah. And then three years later, Gaucho. Yeah, Ga- Gaucho was a huge, drawn-out like debacle, and there were lots of issues behind the scenes. So that Between them that two? That kind of had a, a different history. Uh, yeah, I know Walter Becker was having drug problems and then like they had a song almost completely finished and then one of the engineers just accidentally wiped the whole thing. Are you serious? <laughs> and they just never released it. Yeah. Like they had stuff like that happening and they had, they were getting, so the whole thing about the Steely Dan sound as you get towards the end of the seventies is they were so anal retentive. Like they were getting so like every single element has to be exactly so or I, we're going to like change the way this song fades out over, over 50 seconds. We're going to do 44 different versions of that over a month. Like They got so OCD about everything, but it, it works still, I think. Like they, but they, this is where they're really they're starting to go into that zone of like make everything so calculated and so carefully carried out that by the end, it's almost like it's, it's like an uncanny valley yeah. where you're, you're almost like making it weird again because it's like too perfect. But wow. yeah, it, it, this one, Asia has that uh, studio sheen for sure. Um, but I don't know. So you listen to the whole album. What was like your, you didn't like the title track. I'm kind of with you there a bit, although I do like that uh, drum solo towards the end. Um, what, what was like the high, highs and lows for you here? It made me like drift off a little bit. You know, like it, it wasn't very yeah. demanding of attention. Um, and I think, I think the songwriting has a lot to do with that and the vocals maybe. And just the, like I said, the instrumentation, it's that saxophone, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Careful with it. Careful with that sax, Eugene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, like that, that, man. Nerdy reference. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, I love, I love Black Cat was sweet. Um, Black Cat, I did yeah. like Parts of Peg. I remember thinking like, oh, I like, I like, I like Parts of Peg. Parts of Peg. Sure and, looks and good on you. Yeah. Home at last. On the camera. Home I at last is pretty I good too. Yeah. What was? Home at last. Home at last. Yeah. That one gets a little bit into like bluesy jam territory for me. Yeah. Which is like one of my least favorite things in all of music is <laughs> the blues jam, especially by white guys. But that's. Yeah. Other albums touch on that more. And um, what else? I mean, some of the guitar work was really nice. You know, there was some really cool dissonant stuff going on. Uh, yeah. But very jazzy. And uh, it's a short album if you're looking at song, you know. I knew you were going to say that. 
Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Dude, it's still 40 minutes. Not every album wow. is like a 65-minute tool sprawl. Like, what, what do you expect from an album? I thought it was 40 <laughs> minutes. I thought that's a standard. Well, Beatles, I, I mean, Beatles have like 12 songs, you know, 10, 10 to 12. Yeah, and they're like 36 minutes. I mean, it dep- all depends on the length it's, of the song. Yeah, but that, that's the thing. It's more ideas. Well, I'll, all right, I'll go with you there for sure. Yeah, they, they, it feels like it's got more. It's in like it. different con, different yeah. worlds, different. Yeah, it's different. There's more variety in it. That's true. Yeah, there's no like home, especially home at last, and then I got the news. Feels like it was recorded in the same room on the same day or something. Like those yeah. songs, kind of sonically blend together for me. So sorry. So you like Black Cow? Uh, aspects of peg anything else and and deacon blues deacon blues and home at last yeah <laughs> earth wind and fire earth wind and steely you didn't, re- <laughs> you didn't uh mention it but um i got the news has my favorite moment from the whole album oh which part uh so it's like it's instrumental for a while and then you got the king michael mcdonald coming in with <laughs> Dude, I gotta hear it again. It's so, what? it sounds like there's like six of him, like the way they, they like overdub it and spread it out. Like it's, he's such a. Love the way he sings, and they br- they they brought Michael McDonald back for so many songs. Like they just loved what do you do with backing vocals? He's on Peg too. He's going Peg, do you, <laughs> dude? That's another thing that 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 makes it that makes it sound like mu- like uh, like yacht rock, like elevator music. Is the harm some some of the harmony? Well, he's sounds. he's one of the main offenders. Yeah. <laughs> what a pretty it's soothing. The word is soothing. Yes. It's, it's soothing. Gentle. The sax is soothing. The, the vocals are soothing. Yeah. Sometimes you need a little soothing. You'll see as you get on in years. It's just, it's not very like demanding of attention to me. It wasn't demanding of attention. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. I, I definitely get that, especially for this album. I like when things, that, like, I, I listen to music very like intently, mm. and I don't like when music is just like, I mean, I feel like most people like when music's just like there to like, you know, yeah. make a mood, to, to bring a mood to the room, you know? And I, I don't really like music in that mm. way. And this, this, this album does a really good job of giving a mood to the room <laughs> and, and, and giving a mood to the boat. See, I I listen to this album in the car while driving, and maybe that helps a lot more because like even when you're talking about how it you can kind of like zone out for a while, if you choose to care and choose to get into it, there's like you can, I mean maybe it's just it's it's kind of a, a, a like again a wanky thing to do, but you can be like oh the way the drums did that thing there, oh look at like that little bass line, like it's such an album of like appreciating little details, if that's the kind of listen listener you are, but you kind of have to like burrow into it. Yeah. Um, so I, I personally, I don't fault it for being too like blase or just being background music because I can do that with it. But I totally get what you're saying at the same time too. It, it does feel safe in a lot of moments. Yeah. Dude, do do it again as the first song off the first album. That's, That's a great, badass. great opener. Yeah. That's. No, I good love album. when that happens. Yeah. Can't buy thrills. Cool. What's your favorite uh, Steely Dan album? I'm back to you. 
What's your favorite Steely Dan album? Album, I'm going to say Gaucho and Royal Scams, probably number two. Yeah, my, my favorite Steely Dan song is going to be My Old School. That's from their second album. That's great. got a great punch to it. What a name, Gaucho. Um, I think it's like an Argentinian cowboy or something like that. And there was like a war going on in Argentina at the time. So that there's like some imagery from from South America and some of their songs and Spanish cowboys. And they they like playing with like weird, like high art imagery. Wow. Yeah, the Royal Scam is a crazy cover. Yeah, it's a little on the nose for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like evil skyscraper gargoyles like barking at a homeless man. Yeah, it's like... It's like, hmm, wonder what you're trying to say here. The Fez. I love their song names. The Fez, Haitian Divorce, Yeah. Sign In Stranger. Won't you sign in, stranger? The Caves of Altamira. Yeah. Dude, you know them so much better than I do. Jesus. I didn't know they had all these albums. Like they they crept wow. up on me. I never thought I'd be a fan because it is it's it's safe and it's kind of like it's like cynical in kind of a lame way. Like it is very maybe kind of adult and hoity toity. But yeah, they, they kind of snuck up on me. Like there's so many little jams and uh, different moments of different songs that just kind of draw me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a very particular kind of world. My old school. I gotta check that one out. Yeah, my old school is solid. Um, do you know? Uh, I, I do you know John Mulaney and Nick Kroll? I know John Mulaney. I don't know Nick. Who's Nick Kroll? He's another comedian. Um, but together, the pair of them have these comic characters they do that are um, like two seventy-year-old, like aging, like creepy baby boomer hipsters that live in, <laughs> you know, in in Manhattan, Upper Manhattan, and like you know, did all the drugs in the seventies and eighties. And they're the whole thing about their characters is they're huge Steely Dan fans. This just ties in perfectly. And that's awesome. I, I also think of, uh, of those two, just these old crotchety guys. Who, what do they do that? Like on SNL or something, these skits, it's these characters that they did for like Nick Kroll's show. And then they have a, they did a Broadway special. Like it's on Netflix and stuff. They, they had a, uh, or as they say at Bridway, they had a Bridway show. Bridway. But anyway, they have like a Steely Dance song playing at like the beginning of their, their routine and stuff. So I, I it's it's very much like it's like this the Steely Dan vibe is like this wannabe pseudo intellectual like suave guy, but really they're just kind of like creepy and like drug addled and like over pretentious. That's like I yeah. I like that uh angle of them. It's I find it very funny. Mm-hmm. I remember like just watching interviews of producers and stuff, and people people refer to Steely Dan and Toto as very being very masters of groove. Yeah, Toto's cheesy and though. Session musician. I'm not a Toto fan. Toto, dude, Toto's playing "Beat It," like Michael Jackson's "Beat It." That's uh, okay. Toto yeah, all right, like, all right. Back so, in them. So not Toto, like the Toto songs, like what Toto played for other people. Well, I, I guess I just mean them as session musicians, like th- mm-hmm. them as musicians, you know. Um, yeah, you don't like Rosanna. Rosanna's a good song. Rosanna, yeah, but it's it's yeah. it doesn't have Chew all the way. It's schlock though. Still, like it's it's pop schlock. I, <laughs> Steely Dan has like depth to them. I would argue, um, but I can see why people like you know start making them uh, interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Toto's eighties, Steely Dan's seventies. Yeah, but it's it's that same. They're coming from the same place, just like the state of the art L.A. studios and the. Um, everything's about the record 
and getting it all perfect. It's really interesting when you go back. You really there really is a '60s sound. There's a there '70s is. vibe, and then there's the '80s and the '90s. That's, all, that's technology and cultural trends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's, we're in a new decade, dude. We're in a new decade. I hope it doesn't get more like fake. Uh, I mean, I think it's because it's it's been fake for so long, dude. I mean, it was always fake, though. If you were alive in 1973 and you heard the songs that were actually on the radio on a daily basis, you'd be like, this is crap. This is terrible. It was better. Like, it's always, you know, the, the good stuff is the good stuff, and it's always like 1% of what's out there, and then you just, you just got to ignore the rest. Oh, At least I man. think that. I just can't believe that there was a time where Strawberry Fields Forever was actually like a number one single and like on the radio, ever like everywhere. Yeah, that that was a bizarre aberration. That's like th- like Asia was out al- was nominated for album of the year. That would never happen today in today's age for album of the year. Well, Asia also would have never gotten made because you couldn't. It's like uh, you know, if you go and see an old historic mansion, we can't construct a mansion like that today. Like we don't have the 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 people who know how to do that kind of labor, that amount of skilled labor, right. we don't have those materials anymore. We just can't do it. It's a relic of its time. Yeah, um, which is kind of I feel like why people tend to fixate on this album sometimes is it does represent like a time of super budgets and you know that the jazz shadow was still there and those players were still active and just this the standard of musicianship and and production quality. But it's like, you know, you can do something else nowadays. It's not like, oh gosh, we don't we can't make Asia so nothing will ever be the best again. I bet this album was groundbreaking when it, it when was, it came yeah. out. It's like jazz rock. Jazz rock. Wow. People other people have mixed jazz and rock. Uh you know, a lot of jazz musicians of the day, and you got Miles Davis with yeah. Bitches Brew. They can mix jazz and rock. Steely Dan mixes the two genres in a way that is very unique and very interesting, I think, because it's still yeah. super catchy. I mean, sometimes if it's not going into too much sax zone, I, for, I can forget it's supposed to be jazz or whatever. But it's just like really good pop rock songs with very bizarre right. chord arrangements. But they're, they're walking a line in a very interesting way, I think, mm-hmm. um, especially compared to a lot of the other artists of the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's safe to say this, um, not, nothing from this album in particular really stuck with you too much overall. Just you, you wanted to go back to Can't Buy a Thrill. No, I, I would put Black Cow at the top. Black I, I Cow, like Black yeah. Cow more than, more than the album Asia. Oh yeah, no, I, <laughs> you know can, I, mean? I can totally understand that. Yeah, when, it, when it's more groove focused and just like slick and, and popping and, and less uh, dancing in the moonlight. Less drifty. drifty. Dancing in the moonlight. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> um, if you look on YouTube for Peg background vocals isolated, like Michael McDonald's part by itself, so you can hear the real thing in a making of documentary or whatever. But somebody else just made a video <laughs> where it's just like somebody wailing, like Peg. <laughs> I'm, I'm searching for it. I'll have it That's up. Good stuff. I, I just I really have a soft spot for Michael McDonald as goofy as he is. I'm looking at their albums. Do they so do they break up? 
they broke up. They had a long hiatus after this because they were just getting super burned out. And I, Walter Becker was having drug issues. And then they reunited maybe in like the early 2000s, but I, I, I don't go that far. They made an album in the year 2000. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've heard, I think I've heard a little bit of it and it's still, it, it tries to do all these clever things that they do, but it really just does sound like stale and lifeless for me. Um, like that's really where I just, it just goes over my head. Like it's, it's just this kind of, um, music. There's so many albums of like old seventies and sixties musicians that make music in the two thousands. And it's no good. And I just haven't like all of McCartney's no. albums past like seven, you know, in the eighties, nineties, two thousands. Yeah, like, people get older and they they're out of ideas or they don't have the energy or the drive that they had, and they're just doing it to to please everybody else and keep the money machine going. I mean, it's it's tough. It's it's a common syndrome with uh, yeah. Artists of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones Stones made... um, They've made albums. They've been making albums. And people still just want to hear the hits anyway. But... Must be weird. Must be weird. Oh, yeah. To be the Stones and, like, make an album in, like, 1998 or, like, 2006. And then, like, gigging, touring all over the world and, like, not playing them. (laughs) I think... I mean, I would... uh, I would hedge a bet that at that point... The idea of making new music and investing in that is like that becomes a much smaller part of your life than it was when you're doing freaking yeah. Exile on Main Street or something. That's just a very yeah small part of your schedule. But anyway, Steel Dan, Aja, you had a reaction to it that did not surprise me too much, and I can certainly understand your mm-hmm. uh, your frustrations with it. But uh, you did like Black Cow. They weren't careful enough with the sax. Yeah. What, what do you think you're going to give this album? What's your rating? <laughs> um, Jeez. I do appreciate the sonic quality of it and how awesome everything sounds. But, uh, yeah, I just didn't enjoy... I didn't particularly like really like love or totally enjoy yeah. the music. I don't know. I'll probably give it like a 79. It's pretty fair. Um, I think I'm only going to give it like an 88. It really it has its highlights, but like I said, I think there's better examples of what they do in in other albums. So, um, a bit overrated in terms of like an all time jazz rock classic, but it's still it's got some goods. All right, that's all we got for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. I I really do hope you're enjoying these. Um, I would sincerely welcome any particular album requests for the future. You know, we're we're doing this for ourselves for sure, but we're also doing this for your enjoyment and uh, any way to figure out how to make it better, make it f- funnier. I guess we're going for. Um, we're we're all ears, and uh, especially if you want to write a review or leave a rating on uh, the podcast platform of your choice. That would be awesome. Anyway, hang in there, West Coast. Jesus Christ. I hope everybody stays safe and well, and we're going to see you next week.